is always a risk accepting an invitation to talk in your home church. Always a risk. Oh, that I was in some anonymous Welsh chapel in the middle of the hills that I'm not likely to go back to ever again. Because I know that sometime this week I'm going to be sat with one of you over a coffee and we're going to be talking or we'll be in home group together. I also know that I have to go home and sit around the kitchen table over lunch and look my wife in the eyes and hear what she has to say. And I'm reminded of a story that's told by an American preacher, Joe Stoll. Uh, Joe had been married for 20 years and had been in the ministry for just over that. And he said to his wife one day, there are no secrets in our marriage, are there, darling? And she looked at him and thought for a while and said, well, Joe, actually, there is one secret. Under our bed upstairs, there's a box. And you must promise me that you will never, ever go and look in that box. A little while later, she went out for coffee with her friends, as women do. (laughs) And he was sat there alone. Shall I? Shan't I? A question which was repeated on every step up the stairs. Shall I? Shan't I? And as he got to the bedroom door, he almost turned back and then didn't. And went in and found the box under the bed and opened it. And inside were half a dozen eggs and a pot of money that contained just over a hundred pounds. And he shut it quickly and thought, what was the secret about that? And went back downstairs and he was sat downstairs and waiting for his wife to come back in. And eventually she came back in from her coffee with her friends and came in and she said, Joe, you will never ever go and look in that box, will you? And his face went red. And then he looked at his feet as guilty men do. And hoped not to look her in the eyes. And then he raised his eyes and he said, well, darling, actually, I was tempted. And I did. I went and looked and I went and looked in the box. But I'm really confused. What on earth were those six eggs and that pot of money for? And she said, well, darling, every time you've preached a rotten sermon... I've got an egg, and I've put it in the box. I thought, that's fantastic. Six eggs over 20 years. That's pretty good going. You know, that's that's pretty good going. Six eggs over 20 years. He said, but tell me, what was the pot of money for? He said, well, every time I got to a dozen, I sold them. (laughs) So, Heather, get the eggs ready. Seriously, it's a great privilege to be here and to be sharing God's Word together. And as we look at this wonderful passage in John chapter 4, so if you've got your Bibles and you want to open them up at John chapter 4, and we see one of the first examples in the Gospels of how Jesus worked out his pattern for mission and for ministry on earth. And I hope that as we look at it today, we'll see that it actually sets out a pattern for us in our mission too and gives us some wonderful insights into how Jesus would have us relate to the world around us and how he would seek us to live at our Christian lives here in Ipswich. Firstly, I want us to notice that Jesus actually went to where the woman was rather than expecting her to come to him. 
And for me, this is actually part of the mission of God. The fact that right at God's heart is a missional intent. Right at God's heart are all sufficient, are all powerful, are all knowing God. Right at his heart is a desire to actually go and reach out and meet with people and to draw close to people exactly where they are. We see that here in verse 6 as Jesus goes to the well, a place that would have been teeming with people all day long. Some of them would have been queuing since dawn. I've seen that as I've gone around the world and seen people queuing at the well and arriving at dawn because the water was so scarce. This is the most important place in the village for them. And in verse 6, Jacob's well was there and Jesus was tired from his long trip. So he sat down beside the well. It was about noon. Jesus was there at this most important place in the village because of the scarcity of the life-giving water that it contains some 70 feet, five feet down into the earth. And Jesus sits and he waits and he watches and he observes a weary traveler come to the well for such needed refreshment. This is our God. The God who threw stars into space. The God who measures the breadth of the sky with his hand. The God who reaches down and is able to encompass the whole ocean in his hands. The God who made light travel at 186,000 miles per second, such that it takes six minutes to get from the sun to here. This is our God. The God who scoops up the ocean with his hands, who lays the foundations of the earth, who sent his son to be born as a man, who came all the way to us through the womb of a woman, identifying with us at an elemental level, showing the ultimate way to be human, so that we might know that right at the center of his being, our God is a missional God, a God who reaches out with arms of love, and care. As J.B. Phillips says in Your God is Too Small, God may thunder his commands from Mount Sinai, and men may fear, yet remain at heart exactly as they were before. But let a man once see his God down in the arena as a man, suffering, tempted, sweating, and agonized, finally dying a criminal's death. And he is a hard man indeed who is untouched. And so we see Jesus, fully God and yet fully man, going, going to where this woman is at. We don't even know her name. It's not recorded in the scripture. She's what's her name? They don't even tell us her name. And yet Jesus, fully God and fully man, fully there, feeling the deep human needs of thirst and tiredness. The Word became flesh and lived a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But notice who Jesus goes to. Notice the person that He goes to. He goes to the well in the middle of the day to a woman, 
and more than that, a Samaritan woman. This is a scandal of the highest degree in this culture, worthy of a Sun tabloid headline, Jewish teacher in Samaritan woman scandal. A Jewish teacher coming and speaking with a woman at the well. The Jews hated the Samaritans, hated and vice versa. They wouldn't even drink from the same cup because it would be defiled. The Samaritans were the infidel of the day, the outcasts. And as a woman in the midst of a very conservative Eastern culture, this was a double scandal compounded by the fact that her life was in a mess, as we'll find out later. And into this situation, Jesus, fully God, fully man, comes and says, will you give me a drink? (laughs) Will you give me a drink from this well? Will you give me some water to drink? This desire to reach out to the unloved characterizes Jesus' ministries throughout the Gospels, giving the clear message that no one is unlovable. No one is out of the scope of God's mission. In fact, the more unloved you feel, the more out of reach of God's love that you think yourself to be, the more evidence that there is that God is interested in reaching out and touching you. Jesus told his disciples to report of his own ministry that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf here, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And so God calls us to be a people of mission, a two. God has never lost his missional heart. Right in the centre of his being beats this heart for people to reach out to people. But for nearly a hundred years, the church in the UK has not had to think about mission in its own backyard. The church in the West, and particularly in the UK, were part of Christendom, where church and state were aligned. The culture of Christianity and the culture of the country were in step where christening or baptism were your birth certificate, where you always went to church. It was the done thing, and there was no need for Christians to think in terms of mission on their own doorstep. Mission was for Hudson Taylor and for Livingston. It was out there. It was over there somewhere. It was for those who were called and liked long boat journeys and adventures and insects and jungles and heat and all that stuff. A mission, to be frank, was usually accompanied by an army or a large corporation as well. Coming into church was normal, at least in three, at three times in your life, hatch, match, and dispatch, as they say. Churches never had to bother about their appearance. Don't need to worry about the cold, hard pews, boring sermons, and naff coffee. Over the last 20 to 30 years, we've seen a real change in that, haven't we? We've made church more attractive, nice flowers, real coffee, modern music, relevant sermons, multimedia, all well and good. Things are looking up, fantastic, but I've got some really bad news for you. That approach is fading in its impact. Only 1% of 18 to 35-year-olds go to church these days. Going to church is as natural as arriving at an African airport for the first time. Or as Steve Collins puts it, inviting someone to church is as natural as inviting a straight guy to go to a gay bar. Why would I want to? What would I do when I get there? 
is a completely foreign environment. The average church works in an environment where 80% of, of the effort goes into making church buildings and services attractive. The mission of Jesus was one where all of his effort went into reaching out to unloved people where they were. This is a real challenge for us to find fresh expressions of our Christian faith that are relevant to today's culture. A real challenge to be living the Jesus life, to be building community of Jesus apprentices who did what Jesus did, who go where Jesus went, who go to where people are at, who reach out to the hurting, the outcasts, the asylum seekers, the debt-ridden, the mum struggling to raise three children on her own, the ill, the weary, the stressed, the confused. To go and be. To go and be, to go and sit at the well, to go and be where people are. This is our calling. And it's hard. It's not what we're used to. It's difficult to get our heads around. But it goes back to the pattern of Jesus' ministry here in the Gospels. That is what's so exciting and engaging. It's nothing new. It's nothing different. It's just what Jesus did. But it's recapturing the fact that mission is at the heart of God. It's part of what Samaritan's Purse does right around the world. For the widow suffering with HIV AIDS, for the orphan who heads up their own household, for the victim of an earthquake or a tsunami, for the child with alcoholic parents. Jesus didn't spend 80% of his time smartening up the synagogue and inviting people in. No new worship songs, kids' clubs, or better teaching. He went and sat at the well. He fellowshiped at the table. He met with the tax collectors. He had God conversations while he walked and he ate. Our God is a missional God. We are a people of mission. We need to go and be. But it wasn't enough for Jesus just to go and be where people are at. It wasn't enough for him to just go and be there. He never left anyone he met unchanged by this experience. And this woman was changed, changed to the inner part of her being. In fact, Jesus was interested in changing the human heart and changing human society. He was interested in changing people's minds and their actions through words and deeds. As Henry Nguyen once said, His appearance, that is Jesus, in our midst has made it undeniably clear that changing the human heart and changing human society are not separate tasks, but as inconnected as the two beams of the cross. Jesus changed people. He changed them through word and through deed. Sometimes people were changed by Jesus' words, like this woman at the well. As Jesus turns her attention away from the physical water and points her to the source of living water, Jesus himself. Jesus also challenged her about her lifestyle and her beliefs. In verse 17, you were right when you say you have no husband. And then you know, Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. He spoke right to the heart of her lifestyle and her belief. This is so relevant for us today. The gap between our Christian values and the values that we see lived out in an increasingly secular Britain brings an increasing demand on us to find our transformational voice in our current culture. We must not be afraid to speak up. And a day is coming when we will need to find our voices 
evermore. Never has it been more necessary for us to write to our MPs, to influence politics, to stand up for Christian values. We need to work with and support those who are speaking out for Christian values right across our nation on a national stage. Care, Care for the Family, the Evangelical Alliance, the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, who are challenging parliamentarians on issues such as sexual orientation regulations, the right for religious freedom, the place of heterosexual marriage in our society, and on life issues such as abortion and euthanasia. But we must also need to find our voice in our workplaces, at our dinner parties, at our barbecues, at our family gatherings, at the school gate, in the pub, at the golf club. We need to increasingly talk kingdom values of marriage, the family, religious freedom, fairness, integrity, honesty, justice, and forgiveness, because these are lost values in our society. And as well as challenging people through their words, his words, Jesus challenged people through the things that he did. He didn't see people suffering and not do anything. We have a God who delights in turning mourning into dancing, in turning sorrow into joy, in turning suffering into triumph, and ultimately in turning death into life. He didn't leave the disciples struggling in the midst of the storm. He calmed the waves. He didn't leave Lazarus in the tomb. He raised him to life. He didn't leave the guests at the wedding with no wine. He transformed the water. He didn't leave the blind man not seeing or the deaf man not hearing. This is our God. He was not so much countercultural, building a separate churchy culture into which people had to come, but was nonconformist within his culture. He embraced the table fellowship of the day, sitting and eating, an important cultural norm, but then turned it upside down by inviting the prostitutes and the tax collectors to join him. He embraced going to the well, then turned it upside down by talking with a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. He healed on the Sabbath. He forgave people their sins and told his followers to turn the other cheek and to walk the extra mile. What are the transformational words and deeds that God is calling us to in our culture today? Where are the opportunities for you and I to be in the culture having God conversations and turning the cultural norms upside down? Where are the opportunities for us to punch some holes in the darkness? Maybe for you, is being a lone Christian voice in the local political party or speaking up at PTA meetings. Maybe for you, it's inviting people other than your peers and social group to a dinner party. Maybe for you, it's looking out for the lonely or depressed. Maybe for you, it's having a distinctive witness in your workplace and standing up for justice and righteousness. There are people of faith punching holes in the darkness up and right down this country right now. And it's incredible to see what God is doing in the most unlikely of places. Did you know that in London, 51% of Christians are black? Last Friday, 40,000 black Christians came together in the Docklands of London for an all-night prayer meeting for their city. 40,000 black Christians coming together to pray for London. On May the 27th, there's a global day of prayer expecting to fill West Ham United's ground as people come together to pray for London, to pray for the United Kingdom. Churches are running debt counselling centres, pregnancy counselling centres, homeless shelters, soup runs, lunch clubs, after school clubs, 
building city academies, taking on run-down schools and turning them around, putting their faith into action in word and deed and reaching into their communities in ways that we've never seen before. In 2008, Hope 2008, we'll see a million hours of kindness over Pentecost weekend with the church coming together in the UK like it's never done before, building on Soul in the City, Message Manchester, Merseyfest, anyone, the noise to proclaim to this nation that we're a good news people. We have good news to share who are regaining their confidence and their assurance in the good news of Jesus Christ and are determined to punch some holes in the darkness and bring about transformation in our communities in Jesus' name. I'm excited. I'm excited to be alive in this day. And one of the privileges I have is of seeing Christians doing this right across the world. Let me introduce you to Isabella. Isabella is 37 years old and is a mother of four. She lives in the villages of, of Accordis de Lusaka in Guija district, Mozambique. Each morning she gets up at 4am and prepares breakfast for her family. She then walks seven kilometres to the field where she's a casual labourer. And in the 40 degrees heat she toils away with back-breaking work until two o'clock in the afternoon. And for all of that she earns one pound. She then walks back the seven kilometres to her home, prepares dinner for her family. However, Isabella's day doesn't stop there. Whilst most of us, after a day like that, would be looking forward to our favourite telly programme and a cup of Horlicks, Isabella is getting ready to go out again because she's actually a volunteer with Samaritan's Purse. That's why she's wearing that green T-shirt. And through her local church in our HIV-AIDS home care programme, she's engaged in a local community. And so after dinner, she sets off to visit two twins, Michael and Ricard, who are 12 years old. They've both lost their parents to HIV, and now they live alone. They're two of the 12 million orphans in Africa from HIV and AIDS alone. Isabel is their only carer. And so she sets to work making dinner for them, helping them with their schoolwork, cleaning their home, and being a surrogate mum for them. Isabella is punching some holes in the darkness. What about you? However, and finally, it's not enough for us just to go, and it wasn't enough for Jesus just to go and be, or even enough to go and change. He had something more to give to this woman at the well. And so the story takes a surprising twist in verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, I am he. I'm the one talking to you. And after giving her this surprise, that he was not talking about physical water, but about living water, and he was actually talking about the Messiah. In verses 28 to 30, we get a snapshot of what the woman said to her fellow villagers when she returned home that evening. She said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now that sounds a bit tame to me. I kind of like to imagine that she would have been a bit more um, dramatic about what had happened to her during that day rather than saying, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? It just sounds a bit tame. 
And I imagine that actually she got on her mobile. This is preacher's license, okay? She got on her mobile and she wanted to tell her friend what had happened that day. And she said, hey Jess, you'll never believe what happened to me today. I was sat there at the well where I go every day in the middle of the day. And this bloke, yeah, a bloke, yeah, comes up to me and says, give me a drink. Can you believe it? Yeah, and he was a Jew. Yeah, a Jewish bloke. No, serious. No, I haven't been drinking. And no, midday, oh no, the midday sun hasn't got to me. It was a real life Jewish bloke. And he comes up to me and he asks me to give me a drink. No, this isn't a joke. It's not a joke. No. Then he tells me that actually he's got this water that he can give me that actually is like last forever and means you never get thirst again. No, he didn't have a pointy magician's hat on his head and a long beard and magic potions. No. Well, anyway, then he tells me how many husbands I've had. Yes, he knew about that one as well. And like, it's incredible. And then he tells me he's the Messiah. Jess, 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 you've hung up on me. This was incredible that Jesus should go to her as a Jewish man, as a Jewish teacher, and should actually turn the story around and tell her that actually he has the water of life and that he is the Messiah. Wouldn't it be great if in the coming days and months there were people in our community who were going home at night with a story like that to tell? A story of how someone had met them where they're at, had challenged them in word, had reached out to them with acts of loving kindness and then shared with them the truth about this Messiah, Jesus. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The good news is that when people hear the gospel presented clearly and preached clearly, they respond, even today. We're good news people, and with good news to declare. This past Christmas in India... The Billy Graham Association bought time on Indian television and broadcast simultaneously in 14 different languages evangelistic films and films of Billy Graham crusades from the 70s and 80s. Half a million Christians opened up their homes and invited their friends in for a meal to watch the broadcast. And as a result, three million people filled in a card or called a call center to say that they'd made a first commitment to Christ. Isn't that incredible? That's what God is doing in our world today. And that's the three million people that they know about. Let's go and turn up in some unexpected places. Let's punch some holes in the darkness. Let's go and tell of this Messiah, Jesus. I have a great privilege with Samaritan's Purse of turning up in unexpected places like Darfur, Kashmir, Kyrgyzstan, Chad, Mozambique and working with Christians who are punching holes in the darkness and telling people of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we do on a daily basis. This video, which we're going to show now, about our water programs called Turn on the Tap, just tells something of a small part of the work we do in Jesus' name right around the world.